Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here. And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer. This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Yak. Sports Yak. It's Sports Yak. The show that brings you in where the magic happens. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer Robert. Aaron, a few things have just come into my head. I'm going to say them. Okay. That's a quote from Chris Kringle in one of our movies. So. Okay, I don't, I don't remember that specifically, but uh, that's fine. We're over SifPop.com, providing you with movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure to check out the website SifPop.com to keep up with those. On today's show, we'll be talking about a coming attraction. Uh, two of them, actually. We'll be giving our thoughts on some movies that are coming out Christmas Day. Uh, then on to our Sif topic, which will be uh, two potential goats, uh, greatest of all times, in uh, Miracle on 34th Street. That's the 1947 original. And The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, we'll then explore B-plot, answering a question that actually I had for us this week. I thought it would be fun to talk about. We'll wrap up with spinoff, quick recommend, or warn from each one of us. But first, as always, let's get a chance to know our writer this week. Robert, we t- we're talking about goats. We're talking about older movies. What's the oldest movie that you've ever seen? Uh, I looked on my Letterboxd, and I I try to get I, – I try to include every movie I've ever seen in my letterbox, And at this point, I think I'm 100% there, uh, if not maybe 98%. Uh, and the only the oldest one I had rated was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari from 1920. I watched it in a film class, and if we're not counting like those short films where you shoot a they shot a rocket at the moon and hit it right. in the face, or like the train <laughs> coming out of the screen and people thinking it was an actual train. Yeah, yeah, I was, was talking about this with Reed the other day, and uh, it turns out The Invisible Man was the oldest I'd ever seen, 1933. And then nice. there was a relatively big jump, I think. Um, so you, you beat me by 13 years. Never even heard of the one that you were talking about. Cool. Yeah, it's, well, it's like an old timey horror movie. Sweet. Uh, and then of course, in the spirit of the season, Robert, I got to ask you, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Is Iron Man three a Christmas movie? Is the nice guys a Christmas movie? Is Shazam Look, a Christmas movie? Is Eyes Wide Shut a Christmas movie? Is LA Confidential a Christmas movie? Are the Harry Potter movies Christmas movies? I actually, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to like be disrespectful or dunk on you no, on no, your no, own no. podcast, but I kind of detest this question because, okay, because is, is Christmas movie a genre? Because like, think of Elf, like that's a comedy, right? Uh, obviously Christmas uh, is a big driving force, but Elf is a comedy well, or um, Love Actually is romantic, that sort of thing. Well, here, all right. So here's the thing. I'm gonna actually, I think, play devil's advocate this week. Okay. If if you ask me if if Die Hard's a Christmas movie, I might give you a different answer now and an hour from now because I, I see multiple different arguments, and I don't think anybody can be wrong answering this question. It's kind of the point I'm trying to make. Right. Like the director has very blatantly said this is a Christmas movie, and Bruce Willis has come out very blatantly and said this is not a Christmas movie, and like. It's kind of the same thing with Blade Runner. Ridley Scott says that Deckard was a replicant. Harrison Ford says no, like mm-hmm. after the original Blade Runner. And who who's ultimately to say? There has to be one of two things happening. Either one, Christmas has to be essential to the plot. Christmas has to be an, an essential part of the movie. It can't just be, oh, it takes place around Christmas time. Like that doesn't really do it enough for me. So Harry Potter, to that definition, would be no. 
because uh, a portion of that movie takes place around Christmas time. But you know, something like Die Hard would, and especially when you take in the fact that it really needs to take place at Christmas because of the Christmas party with limited security and all the essential staff being there in order for the heist to happen. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's hard to refute that argument, but at the same time, there also has to be an element of kind of like what you were talking about with is Christmas movie a genre. I think part of another aspect of being a Christmas movie should be, can you watch this in March and be okay? Like, would you watch elf in March? I wouldn't know if you would, like if you're listening and you would like, that's fine. I don't I, I don't think there's a wrong answer. Yeah. I actually turned on Die Hard uh, earlier today just because of this question, just to see if I could look at it with fresh eyes. And I watched like the first 40 minutes or something. And it has like Jingle Bells as part of the soundtrack. Not, not like the song Jingle Bells, but like right. the thing Jingle Bells as right. part of the, the score. People are saying Merry Christmas. He's there for Christmas. All, like all this kind of stuff. Right, um, and, you, and you got you know snow or the the simulation of snow at the end with all the yeah. paper falling, and if we're talking Christmas movie as a genre, like the message of Christmas is in there. But if Christmas movie isn't a genre, then I think Hallmark Christmas movie is a genre. <laughs> yeah, a difference would be like Iron Man three, which is it takes place at Christmas time. He gets her the giant bear or whatever, but it's not an essential part of the plot, like you were saying. Well, and that, that's that's a really fair point to make too. And I think if we also go by that logic, then a lot of Christmas movies that we hold near and dear are also gone. Because, like, is there any reason that It's a Wonderful Life needs to take place on Christmas Eve? Probably not. I don't know. It's, not it's that like, I can recall. It's like it's just a time of year that people are going to be around their families or going to be feeling more sentimental. So that's why a lot of these movies take place. Have you seen Happiest Season, the Hulu no. movie? Okay. Well. This isn't a spoiler, but my wife and I watched it and, and I said, look, it's a Christmas rom-com. Let's watch this. At the We enjoyed it. But at the end, she was like, that wasn't really a Christmas movie. Like the whole thing is that they go to one of the the, the women's parents' house for Christmas and they take Christmas pictures, but it, like Christmas doesn't factor into the plot like you were talking about. Sure. So the definition is kind of malleable. And that's why I don't really engage in this argument too often, because you can make good arguments on either side. And if you want to watch Die Hard in July or if you want to watch A Christmas Story in July, I'm not going to say you're wrong because (laughs) it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think I think that's a good place to leave it is like you do you. And I I get I get both arguments. You know, it's just a question I think is fun to converse with. But, you know, having civil conversations about movies is the way to go. Well, hey, maybe we'll have something to disagree about as we talk about uh, stuff moving forward. But uh, but real quick, uh, if you could invite just one silly question for you, if you could invite three people over for dinner, uh, who would those three people be living or dead? Um, And, you know, for the sake of it doesn't have to be one dinner, because I know one person who would not mesh with any other people. Well, you just said three people. And I know your intent is like, you know, eating with Einstein or Jesus or something like that. But right now, my first instinct is like my parents. And then I would also say my brother, but I have two brothers. So I don't know how to make the cut there. So (laughs) you get get the left half of one and the right half to the other. (laughs) Okay. We're we're going straight up biblical King Solomon on them. (laughs) We're going by my uh, Mount Rushmore rules on Robert's thoughts. Um, (laughs) No, let me think about this in the way that you intended it. While you're thinking about it, I can give my answers. Okay. Uh, One of them would be Wayne Gretzky, the great one, because I'm a big fan of hockey and I'm, I want to understand a little bit more about 
the player's aspect of the sport because I've never played it. And who better learn from than the great one? So that would be one. And another one would be Bill Hader because I feel like the dude's just like would be the most fun guest you've ever had. Yeah. And like, he also seems like a really genuine, interesting guy. Like he just, I want to be best friends with Bill Hader. And, uh, and if he's listening, which of course he is because everybody listens to pop writers room, oh, yeah. uh, Bill, Bill, you are more than welcome next time you're in Iowa city to stop by for dinner and, uh, and hang out with me and my wife and my dog. But, uh, that would be, uh, at least to my first two people. I actually didn't think about a third person yet. You got, you got some so far. Yeah. So I'll go with Andrew Garfield for one. That's probably a basic for me pick, but he's been a dream interview for a while. Someday I'll interview him or just sit down and have a conversation because I think he has a lot of interesting stuff to say based on the movies that he picks and the stuff that he says in interviews. But at the same time, he's a really goofy and fun guy. I'd enjoy just having, you know, a fun slash deep conversation with him. Um, this is just going based off interviews on, I've seen on YouTube. It seems like he can flip a switch between the two pretty easily. Maybe uh, George Lucas. Okay. Um, because I think for as much as people like to talk crap about the prequels, I think they have very interesting ideas. Apparently, they're even supposed to be about George W. Bush and, and Dick Cheney. Um, so I think I just think he has interesting ideas. Maybe he doesn't always know how to communicate them well as a filmmaker. Maybe he needs someone to, to rein him in like uh, Irvin Kirshner. So I'd like to talk to him just about Star Wars, about life. I've got, I've got my third one. I, w- okay. I would take C.S. Lewis. Uh, and I know probably the I know probably the good example would be, you know, Jesus, especially somebody with my beliefs. But well, hey, if Jesus comes back, then, you know, world's ending. So, <laughs> so yeah. there's that. But also but also like I just I feel like the whole point of Jesus is that he's already given enough for us to be able to talk about the he, also, frankly, Jesus would be the most frustrating dinner guest ever because you'd ask him a question and you'd want an answer and he'd tell you a story that like you kind of half understand and you, it takes years of dissecting it to figure out what exactly he's he's trying to say. <laughs> so uh, so that would be really frustrating. But I mean, C.S. Lewis is, in my opinion, one of the best, uh, greatest theologians out there who passed uh, the day that Kennedy was shot in 1963. But he, he's got a great mind. Uh, he's one of my favorite authors and I would just love to pick his brain about about theology stuff. Yeah, since you're saying C.S. Lewis, of course, since it's me, I think you know who I have to say now, and that's Tolkien. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was thinking one of yours it would have to be Peter Jackson or J.R.R. Tolkien. I think I've, I just watched a recent interview with Peter Jackson. He looks so burnt out on Lord of the Rings. Um, and he looks I, burnt out in general. It's true, but I feel like he just doesn't want to talk about Lord of the Rings anymore, but he also needs to maintain his, his lifestyle and make a living, so... Well, and how much money interviews he gets? How much money a year does he make on revenues? I mean, especially with the recent 4K releases, and it seems like every year there's a new release. They're always playing on TV, like. But my real answer, yeah, is is Tolkien, Um, because he like like Lewis. He's a Christian. He actually led Lewis to his faith. Mm -hmm. So I think he would have some interesting spiritual things to say, as well as I would. I don't think Lewis would get, or I don't think Tolkien would get tired of talking about. Lord of the Rings, because I think he would have lots and lots to say about the world and about his history and about where it might be going. Um, he actually wrote like a chapter or two of, of a Lord of the Rings sequel, and I'd love to dig into what that might be. Yep, I'm with you there. Cool. Well, then let's move on to the coming attraction. Uh, we have two for you this week. Uh, Robert, do you want to talk about Soul or We Could Be Heroes first? I don't care. Depends on if you want to hear the good news versus the bad news. Let's talk about Soul because that's the order I have it in the notes. Um, just sure. just for that reason. Also, I think Soul is 
probably going to be the more popular pick uh, this year. Although it could be wrong uh, because we are talking about a completely original property versus sequel. So, um, you know, we'll see. Plus nostalgia and all you need is nostalgia for a box office in 2020. So not 2020, but, you know, 2019. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about Soul. Soul is uh, probably most known for being the new Pixar movie. This was supposed to come out this summer, but got pushed back due to COVID to Christmas Day was supposed to have a theatrical release. And then probably what, like two months ago, they announced it was just going to be on Disney plus without premiere access. So if you have Mm -hmm. Disney plus, you can watch soul. I don't think it's getting any theatrical release. I could be wrong about that, but it will be available on Disney plus on December 25th without spending an extra $30 to access it. It's just free with your subscription, Uh, which I definitely want to talk about more later, but uh, this is a new uh, Pixar movie. This is starring uh, Jamie Foxx, directed by uh, Pete Docter, who Monsters, Inc., Inside Out, some stuff like that. Um, And the synopsis of this movie is a musician who has lost his passion for music, is transported out of his body, and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about himself. Robert, what do you think about this? Let's let's just say no COVID, uh, the world is right and all that. (laughs) How soon would you be catching this if this was going to be a theatrical release? Uh, Would you go opening day? Would you wait for a matinee? Would you uh, wait till you can rent it at home? Wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for? Or are you just not interested in seeing this movie? If this was normal release strategy, but if it was still being released at Christmas, I don't know if I would go opening weekend just because I don't usually go to the movies Christmas weekend. But yeah, if, if it was like random random weekend, I would go opening weekend to go see this because I know you mentioned that the We, we Can Be Heroes might be a dark horse for something that people will be watching because it's nostalgia, people like sequels, blah, 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 all that. But I think a brand is just as powerful, if not more than a sequel to a mildly loved, more like memed movie like Shark Boy and Labrador, which we can talk about in a minute. Yeah. But since since it's Pixar, I yeah, I am confident in them. They only have a couple duds out of what, two dozen movies. Right. And those duds aren't even that bad compared to other stuff that you might see in the in the animation. So, right. yeah, I, I'd be there opening weekend. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to say the same thing. That's my anticipation level. Uh, I don't typically go to movies on Christmas as well, partly because I'm seeing family. You know, we've never been a Christmas Day kind of family. Uh, but, you know, I would go a couple days after. But, like, my anticipation, I am so here for this movie. As for any Pixar movie, uh, I'm here for it. And uh, you're right, the studio has that much power, has that much um, play as nostalgia um, if, if it's done right uh, because you know you can look at well like Lucasfilm after the three st- first three Star Wars movies like people would have seen anything that had Lucasfilm attached to it and they did you know maybe now that's not quite the case anymore uh, and you know to some extent I know that if if there's a movie coming out that has Walt Disney animation behind it like sure they had a rough patch but ever since like Moana and Big Hero 6 they've been on a hot streak so like yeah. I'm probably going to go check it out. And, you know, same with uh, like Fox Searchlight is a great example or A24, right? A24, yeah. Bl- Blumhouse even. Like these are all consistent hitters. And so, I th- yeah, I think you're right. Uh, for the most part, I'll see most things that, that have those attached to them. But uh, I'm here for it. I love the concept of this movie. I think Pixar is incredible. Uh, I think uh, I think their, their way of storytelling is just impeccable. Uh, and I think that they get the best people in the business to be working on their stuff. And uh, and that really shows. Speaking of some of those people, so we got Pete, Do- Pete Doctor, like I said. He started off doing uh, Monsters, Inc. He did some shorts, but Monsters, Inc. was his first big one. Then he went on to do Up and Inside Out. And I mean, man, what 
what an awesome lineup of three. And then Soul is this one. He's also uh, been a writer on Toy Story, Toy Story 2, the Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, the TV series there, uh, yeah. Monsters, Inc., Wally Up, Inside Out, Soul. Uh, and he's writing and, uh, oh no, it's based on characters. He's producing the new Lightyear series. So yeah, and then he looks like he's got a co-director this time in uh, Kent Powers, and he also had some writing credit on this. But really, um, Star Trek Discovery is the only thing that he's been on. I haven't seen it. But I've heard good things. And uh, Powers? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen anything from him, but I looked at his picture. And one of the biggest complaints that I've ever heard about La La Land, other than people shallowly saying they don't like the ending, is that it's white people being jazzed about <laughs> being jazzed about jazz. Nice. I didn't even do that on purpose. Um, <laughs> it's white people being excited about jazz and when it's not their their thing to be uh, sure. excited about or to be pontificating about the importance of it. But it looks like the main character is obviously played by Jamie Foxx, a black man. And when you have a black writer and co-director in Soul, yeah, that just that just makes me have even more confidence in the movie. Just the people who should be telling this kind of story are telling it. Right. I actually also saw somebody complain about that on Twitter this week that was like, I think it's a valid criticism criticism as well, is why are all these animated movies that feature black people immediately, like, they get transformed into something else? Because, like, Princess and the Frog being the other big example. Uh-oh. And, you know, and Soul being this example. And, like, I, that's yeah. fair. Like, it's hard to argue with that. Um, in, in a similar way, I heard somebody else complain about, and again, rightfully so, about how Disney is choosing to still let Black Widow and uh, Luca and a bunch of other stuff uh, be regular releases. But for Rhea and The Last Dragon, their one movie that stars a black female, that one's going to treat Disney Plus instead of theaters. It's yeah. like, yeah, I, I see your point. Yeah, and then the other person that's uh, that's been, that has a story credit on this is Mike Jones. Mike Jones has a writing credit for this. He, uh, is, he has done the screenplay for Luca. And uh, was a creative team for The Wind Rises, The Tales of Princess Kaguya, Coco, Incredibles 2, and Toy Story 4. So, um, also pretty great. (laughs) It also looks like Pete Docter is kind of, probably my guess, is trying to bring in some other people here. Because if he already knows the ins and outs, he's had arguably some of the best Pixar movies. You know, why not bring in some other people to raise up the next generation of Pixar directors? You know, the mm-hmm. people that are going to be Pete Doctor in 10 years, right? Yeah. Inside Out's my favorite Pixar movie. Do you have a favorite one? Toy Story 2. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. Inside Out's my favorite. I think it's perfect. Yeah. Inside Out, it, it's not that I don't like Inside Out. I, I like 10 or 15 of the Pixar movies. I think they're like great, great. Yep. Um, but the rest I think are good. But regarding Soul, I was totally into that trailer too. Um, I've seen it a couple of times now, but I just watched it half an hour ago and I just felt super charmed. I laughed a few times it looks like it's going to be great because it's already gotten great buzz from the critics who have seen it um i've seen it on some best movies of the year list uh, lists at this point obviously i'm a fan of jamie fox it sounds like it also has tina fey which is kind of fun because pete doctor had amy poehler last time now he has the other member of their little duo with this one uh, graham norton's doing a voice i love graham norton show on, on bbc Questlove, uh angela bassett david diggs it sounds like there's solid voice talent behind uh, the characters, even past just Jamie Foxx. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, David Diggs, what a big hit for that yeah. right there. Like, Yeah, hopefully he raps a little. I'd be totally fine with that. 
Yeah. My only exposure to Graham Norton is uh, from the Eurovision Song Contest. (laughs) Oh, I still have to watch that. You you should look up just some Graham Norton interviews. He has he has great stuff. Uh, He gets he gets his interviewees to just tell the craziest stories and do the weirdest stuff. But yeah, I'm I'm not totally sure what the movie's about with Soul, but I'm totally fine with that. It kind of looks like or it looks or sounds like he's in Purgatory, like a cartoon version of Purgatory. Yeah, but I that's everything I have to say. Other than I wanted to highlight one line of dialogue that I really loved from the trailer, which is, you can't crush a soul here. That's what life on Earth is for. And I'm like, well, dang. Yeah. <laughs> if that isn't uh, accurate for this year. Yeah. I just want to point out, point out, I think, two other people from the cast. Uh, first is, and God, I hope, I think I'm going to butcher the name, but Richard Ayode, Aoade, something like that. Um, probably most notably from the IT crowd. Uh, but also, I definitely know I've seen him in other stuff. Uh, the Watch, I think he's a Mr. Pixel, Pickles in Box Trolls. He's the forensic investigator in Paddington 2. Oh, yes. Paddington 2 shoutouts. Um, he's Ice Cream Cone in Lego Movie 2, apparently. Uh, and he is in The Mandalorian as Zero. I think that's the robot? I uh, don't I don't know. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but somebody there... Some big Star Wars fans. It's like, you show, show up. Uh, and and Alice Braga is the other one that I want to bring up. Braga, probably. She plays Angelica in City of God, which is just an incredible movie. But probably more oh. people know her for I Am Legend, yeah. uh, Repo Men, Predators, uh, Elysium, and um, The New Mutants, which came out this year. Um, yes and she's going to be in the suicide squad next year as soul saria i think the only thing i want to talk about this movie other than that is just i think it's really interesting that they're putting this on disney plus but not as premiere access and it's not as an abandonment of that formula because they're still going to release ray and the last dragon at least in that formula next year so i just i'm not sure why they chose to do that especially because like i would probably pay 30 dollars for early access to soul yeah i i was confused by that when what, wasn't it just the other day they announced Ray and the Last Dragon is going to be Premier Access? Yeah, I mean, a couple days before we're recording, but yeah. Yeah, and I saw Premier Access and I was genuinely confused because I thought they gave that up after Mulan. You know, everyone's going crazy on at them for how bad of a decision that was with Mulan. Maybe they're just more confident this is going to be that people have more interest in that animation than in a Mulan remake because people, one for one thing, don't want to watch Mulan remake without... Uh, without the music and for another thing. Right. So my point is people would probably probably be much more eager to go and go ahead and pay for uh, one of these animated movies over Mulan. Right. Well, and that's the other interesting thing too, is like for, for soul, you have Pixar attached to it. Yeah. yeah. So I know I'm getting good quality. Whereas this Ray and the last dragon. And I'm still pretty excited to see that one. I, I'm not going to pay the premier premier access because I don't have any history with this. I don't have any foundation that tells me that this is going to, be worth my $30 where Pixar alone says it's going to be worth $30. Right. So. Yeah. And, and maybe it's a budgetary thing. Like perhaps like with Mulan, it probably costs, you know, a hundred million dollars to make. So if they can make, just make that back, they'll be good. Yeah. And maybe soul I mean, animation has to like definitely cost less. Right. You know, especially you don't have filming locations. I mean, yeah. voice actor score animation still does cost, but especially with 3d technology, it costs a lot less than it did back in the day. So Maybe I'll understand when I run the largest media corporation ever. And, right. But I don't. And I I just watch the movies, man. You know, like this is the stuff that I I like having these conversations. 
and I'm not I'm trying to, I'm not trying to dismiss the conversation at all. It's just That's like fine. I don't understand it. I'm not a business person, especially during these unprecedented times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I don't understand. I'm just grateful that, that I get to watch Soul on my Disney Plus. Cool. And like I said, it just kind of baffles me because we both said we would not pay thirty dollars to watch Mulan. And we were both really excited about it, but. Gosh, as much as it would pain me, I would probably pay thirty dollars to watch Soul, just because I would want to buy it on something other than Disney Plus at some point. But like, mm-hmm. I'm that excited about this. You know, unless it was going to be in theaters, then I might just go see it in theaters instead and pay thirty bucks when it comes out on Blu-ray or right. whatever. Cool. Um, well, let's move on to We Could Be Heroes then. Uh, this is uh, stops for this movie when alien invaders kidnap Earth's heroes. Their children must team up and learn to work together if they want to save their parents and the world. This is a Netflix release on Christmas Day as well. Before we start talking about We Can Be Heroes, there's another movie coming out in theaters called News of the World that, frankly, just I didn't hear about because it's really hard to keep up on what movies are actually coming out when I'm trying to put together these lists in 2020. It, it, it would have been a lot easier last year, but uh, as far as this year goes, it's just difficult keeping up with them. And you would think a Tom, a new Tom Hanks starring or directed by a Paul Greengrass movie would be big enough, but I heard a lot about people talk about this movie, but I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about news of the world yet. Um, and, that, and I just decided it was already in the show notes and I didn't feel like changing it. That uh, George Clooney movie is also coming out unless you're talking about it on a future episode. Uh, Midnight Sky is coming out December nope. 23rd. It's nope. coming out on Netflix. Yeah. Cool. Well, and here's the thing too, when there's also five big movies coming out, like we're just not going to be able to talk about everything. Right. So, um, so there's that, but uh Robert, this is a this is kind of a surprise sequel ish to Sharkboy and Lava Girl. What do you think about this movie? Uh, so let's again, let's just say it's theatrical. Let's just say there's no COVID. Uh, would you go catch this opening weekend? Wait for matinee. Wait till it's to rent it. Wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for. You're just not interested in watching this movie. I'm not interested in watching this movie at all. Okay. Um, I haven't seen Sharkboy and Lava Girl since I was a kid, and even then, I didn't think it was good. Why would they make this sequel without the king of cinema? Taylor Lautner, <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> they have the same actress playing a uh, lava girl, right? But they don't have <laughs> Taylor Lautner coming back for Shark Boy. I mean, um, if I had to take a guess, it's probably because Taylor Lautner is probably trying to do what Pattinson did with his career after Twilight. But at the same time, like, it ain't gonna do. You're not a good actor, dude. <laughs> like, you tried to do it with like abduction or something like that. Like, he tried to have a b- big boy career and like. Just stick to your your Twilight, and you'll, you could probably get could probably do some Nicholas Sparks stuff, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my I really don't didn't write down a lot of notes for this. My answer is I'm not interested. When it says f- coming from the creators of Sharkboy and Lava Girl and Spy Kids, it doesn't inspire a lot of faith. But then again, <laughs> you can't say from the director of Sin City and and right. Machete, right? Two very different types of movies. Well, so um, this is, gosh. I'm with you. I don't. I don't want to watch this movie. I, th- I think my wife wants to watch it, and that's fine. She can do it. I, just I won't be in the room. Well, because she has history with Shark Boy and Lava Girl, yeah. and I, I'm with. I'm like you. I saw it once. It was after it came out. I saw it at a friend's house. I thought it was boring. I didn't care about it. Although I thought that George Lopez was hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, because you know, just because yeah, of him. He was in that. <laughs> um, Everything about that movie is forgettable, and yeah. it's it's just not it's just not good. And so, if I had attachment to Shark Boy and Lava Girl, you know, maybe I'd I don't think I'd be higher than on a streaming service I already pay for, though. 
Um, and maybe it's because of the age that I am, or maybe it's because Robert Rodriguez does kid stuff, but it's typically not like high budget kid stuff. <laughs> he typically doesn't do high budget live action stuff either, adult stuff either, uh, except for Alita. Right. Well, this, so this is the other thing I wanted to bring up is like, if there's any reason that I would want to check this out it, it, to Pedro Pascal and Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. But I like, was going to say Pedro Pascal. Right. But like, he's not going to get me to watch this movie and Robert Rodriguez is either. And like, what an interesting career this guy's had because, you know, he did yeah, the spy kids movies and he did that. But at the same time he was making like El Mariachi and Desperado and once upon a time in Mexico and Machete and, um, you know, eventually wound up doing Alita Battle Angel, but he also did the like Planet Terror and Sin City. Like, what a really interesting career Grindhouse had. Tarantino. Right, that's the Planet Terror one. Oh, okay. Because the other part was Death Proof, which Tarantino gotcha. did. Yeah, I've only ever seen Death Proof. Anyway. Man, Planet Terror was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, I, I believe you. I like I like Death Proof. So I never see. I haven't seen Death Proof. Yeah. <laughs> Together we make we make the full thing. Right. Maybe maybe we need to do the the goats on Death Proof. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I'm I'm like I don't make notes when we talk about coming attraction stuff. Uh, but if I did write notes, it would be one thing. It'd probably be like, look, if I'm going to watch a kid's Robert Rodriguez movie, I'd just rather go watch Spy Kids again. And I haven't seen it in 20 years, and I'm sure it doesn't hold up. Well, probably, not quite 20 years, 15 years. I'm sure they don't hold up, but I'm sure they're probably as good as this movie. <laughs> Actually, one morning, it, it was on Netflix a while back, and one morning my wife and I were like, what if we turned on Spy Kids? <laughs> and it really wasn't that bad. Um, we didn't watch the whole thing, but it was like, I wasn't cringing at how bad it was and like how poorly it had aged. Okay. That's all I'll say. Like I'm, I'm not saying it's the greatest movie ever, but it's also like not awful. Sure. Yeah. I'll stand by it. If I'm going to go, first of all, if I'm going to pop it a Robert Rodriguez movie, it ain't going to be spy kids. But if I'm in that Robert Rodriguez kids kind of, is it going to be spy kids too? <laughs> spy kids 3D. <laughs> I have spy kids 3D. <laughs> I had it too. I don't anymore. I think when we were doing the the run the Blu-ray runs on my <laughs> on my podcast, I think that's what broke like one of my runs because that gets really nice. Yeah, uh, I think <laughs> another yeah, anyway. another thing that just doesn't give me confidence in this is that Robert Rodriguez did a Spy Kids four like three four years ago, and Spike I don't remember anything 40. about it. Right? I don't remember anything about it except nothing. Like people, <laughs> right? So. So, I remember nothing. So why would I think nothing. that this inferior franchise would produce a different result? Uh, and I hope people enjoyed just listening to us say random stuff and laugh this whole time. <laughs> Can I bring up something that's tangentially related to this, and it and it's a serious topic? Please do. And when did Pedro Pascal like get into everything and become so huge? I think it was after Game because of Thrones. He was in Game of Thrones, and he was, he's great in Game of Thrones. I've never seen Narcos, but I know people love that show. Yep. But in the last, like, three years, like, 2017, you got Kingsman, then Equalizer, Beale Street, Triple Frontier, Mandalorian. Now he's got Wonder Woman, We Can Be Heroes. He's just in everything now. And people are fan casting him for all this different stuff. Yeah. Man, I love this guy. I'd love to see more of him. Yeah. Uh, Last thing I'll add on this, even though we're way off topic, is that Josh Gad tweet where he he said, ever since I saw him in Narcos, I've known he was great. And I was like, you're forgetting game of thrones that's where i knew he was great right <laughs> and before narcos it's it's really funny people saying some of that stuff and it's like 
dude, everybody knew he was great by the time he got to Narcos. Exactly. It wasn't you. Like, everybody knew Ted Danson was good when we saw him in Cheers. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the guy who voices the main character in Soul, Jamie Foxx, I, th- I think he's going to be something. Yeah, you know, I saw a movie that he did a couple years ago called Aquila and the Bee. <laughs> <laughs> he's in this movie. He's in uh, Baby Driver. I think he was an up-and-comer in that. Uh, man, I don't know. Tell he you should what, have won an Oscar like 13 years before that came out. Tell you what, I knew that Russell Crowe was a great actor when I saw him in Unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew this guy's going to have a career someday. <laughs> if only they had cast him as like a... You know, like a swords and sandals kind of character 20 years ago. I don't know. <laughs> if only they would have cast him as some like young gruff detective in like LA Confidential. <laughs> like if they would have cast him as Bud White in LA Confidential. Let's recast LA Confidential and make Russell Crowe play that character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Guy Pierce can play X- can play Exley. <laughs> Man, that, that's an inspired choice. <laughs> You want to talk about some goats, Robert? <laughs> sure. All right. I love, I love how we discuss livestock on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite section. We got two goats. Two top writers' room where once a month we talk about livestock. The farm episode. <laughs> well, being that this is. <laughs> December. We're close to the Christmas season by the time this episode releases. By the way, I keep saying that just because we recorded early as to not interfere with Christmas uh, celebrations. So uh, Christmas season uh, movies coming out. uh, I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas, which is Christmas or Halloween or both. Kind of like we talked about with Die Hard. If you want to watch it in July, watch it in July. I don't care. Yeah, I was going to say this would be a perfect one to add to that discussion from earlier. Right. Is it really a Christmas movie? Who knows? Well, the argument would be, is this Christmas or Halloween? And it's like, yeah, both. And while we're at it, all the, all the trees that he sees, St. Patrick's Day and Valentine's Day and Easter. But we talk about Nightmare Before Christmas and Miracle on 34th Street. This is the 1947 original. Let's start off with the Miracle on 34th Street. This is a 1947 movie. You can catch it streaming on Disney Plus if you're interested in that. Uh, by the way, spoilers. I don't really know how much there is to spoil about either of these movies. should have watched it 80 years ago if you didn't want to have it spoiled. Right, <laughs> or watched any of the 70 remakes. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, this is a 1947 movie streamed on Disney Plus synopsis. When a nice old man claims to be Santa Claus is institutionalized as insane, a young lawyer decides to defend himself, uh, defend him by arguing in court that he is the real thing. Which, like, man, that takes a while to actually get into that. Yeah, We can talk about that in a, in a little bit. But reason why uh, this movie would be considered a goat. This is a 7.9 on IMDb. This is 88 on Metacritic and 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is based on a novella by Valentin Davies. And this won three Oscars. That is Best Supporting Actor with Ed- Edmund Gwynn, who plays Chris Kringle. Uh, Best Original Writing by Valentin Davies. Uh, and Best Screenplay by George Seaton. It's also nominated for Best Picture, but it didn't win that year. And this won Golden, Glo- Glo- Golden Globes for Best Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor, Edmund Gwynn. This is uh, on AFI, uh, several of AFI's list. So this is ninth on 100 Years, 100 Cheers, which is America's most inspiring films. This is uh, fifth best film in fantasy genre, according to AFI's 10 top 10 lists in 2008. Gosh, that's confusing. This is nominated in 100 Years, 100 Movies and the 10th Anniversary Edition. And this was nominated on 100 Years of Film Scores. This was selected for the National Film Registry in 2005. And although set during Christmas season, studio head Daryl F. Zanuck 
insisted it be released in May, arguing that people go to the movies in warmer weather, which also I wanted to bring up that this is a common argument for why people say Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie is because it was released in the summer. But then people are like, yeah, well, so is Miracle on 43rd Street. Street." And yeah, both. (laughs) Uh, The studio promoted it while keeping the Christmas setting a secret. Maureen O'Hara made up her mind uh, to move back to Ireland, but then read the script and then decided to do it. Um, she plays the the, mo- the mother character. And the assistant director filmed the Macy Parade on Thanksgiving Day with nine cameras simultaneously, which was unheard of in 1947. Uh, and uh, I thought this was an interesting, interesting note. The Catholic Legion of Decency gave this movie a B for being morally, morally objectable in part. And it's largely because O'Hara plays a divorcee. Although... I was wondering about it. Like, I think the scene where what's his face, his wife is drunk, probably also plays into that. Like, she's just, <laughs> yeah. which also I learned about the Catholic Legion of Decency <laughs> when uh, when researching this. And in 1985, it became the first full length black and white films to be colorized, which took four and a half months. I couldn't find the colorized version anywhere, though. I watched it in black and white, but I wanted to switch halfway through just to see if there was anything noteworthy. There was a broadcast adaptation in 1947. There was four remakes. Uh, a TV one in 1955, 1959, TV adaptation, 1973 TV version, a film in 1994 starring Richard Attenborough, which I think probably a lot of us are most familiar with, and a Broadway musical in 1963 titled Here's Love. There was also a stage play in 2000 from the novella. That's all that history. Uh, lots of history with this movie, but movie from 1943. Neither of us had seen this movie, right? No, I had not seen it. Okay, so what excited you about watching this movie? Well, for one thing, it's a Christmas movie and it's Christmas time. And uh, I don't tend to be super into watching Christmas movies, but my wife has been bugging me every night to watch a Christmas movie or a Christmas episode of one of her favorite shows or something like that. So it was nice to be able to appease her <laughs> by watching this, which is something I wanted to watch and something she wanted to watch. I'm always interested in seeing a new old movie with such a, a high rating everywhere around and... Christmas movie, I'm down for it. Cool. So, same reasons. I love Christmas stuff. I feel like some of these Christmas ones are maybe going to be the ones that hold up the best. So yeah. So yeah, that's a little bit of the 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 legacy uh, about that movie. And uh, Robert, after after watching this movie, what did you think? Did you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I gotta say, I I really loved it. I think this is going to become a new yearly Christmas watch for me. I don't think it aged a second. Like it, it could have come out this year. Other than like the types of phones people used, you know, there's not much that is really aged other than visually. I, I, I thought it was, it was great. It has a lot to say not only about Christmas, but about, you know, childhood imagination and keeping that imagination until adulthood. Commercialism, it has, it has great humor. I'm, I'm excited to rewatch this one because I want to start quoting it because there was a lot of lines I want to remember like I did at the top of the show. Yeah. But, but yeah, I really love this one a lot. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I love this movie. Uh, I'm firmly in the loved it category. Um, I, I I was charmed the whole time. I as well think this is going to be a regular watch uh, for me and my household. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, where do you want to start? How about here? Because we talked about Citizen Kane last time. Did you notice there was very similar framing to Citizen Kane towards the beginning when Mr. Gailey and the, the mother are talking about the daughter? She's like in the background watching the parade. And they're in the foreground and she's like framed through the doorway by the window. So I didn't notice, but I am picking up on it now. But I, I think it's maybe because I was distracted by something else. Do, do you want to continue off that or? I don't remember if this came out. Did it, When did Citizen Kane come out? 41. 
Yeah, so this came out after. Yeah, I, I thought it, it conveyed something really similar, and I just thought it was a cool connection between the last couple movies we've talked about. So that's just like a little fun nugget that I noticed at the beginning. Yeah, I, I don't really know where else to go from it. I liked a lot of the moments. I liked a lot of the, the messages that it had. Uh, it was it wasn't slow at all. Like I never I never got bored. I enjoyed watching it the entire time. The characters are, are really good. The the young actress who plays Susan, she's she's really great in it. The the man who plays Santa Claus is also great in it. Yeah, those are just some scattered thoughts. If you want to take one and run or bring up something else. Yeah, I'll take a couple and run actually. Sure. So you mentioned the daughter uh, Susan being really good. She actually has a connection to the show because she grows up and plays Judy in Rebel Without a Cause. Oh, really? A couple connections then. Yeah, one not so direct, one quite direct. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I thought, thought was... you were going to say like she's your great aunt when you said. Oh yeah, that too. No, uh, uh, Natalie Wood is the actress's name, and uh, uh, we we talked uh, last week about Citizen Kane. About uh, no, it wasn't Citizen Kane, uh, and not last week, last month. Uh, we talked about like the intros of movies, how how a lot of times, especially with these older movies, the opening credits, like I, I just want to fast forward through them, and I feel like this movie was the same way. The intro didn't do anything for me, but it was also only eighty seconds, so like I'm not gonna fast forward through eighty seconds. You mean, I like, feel like the opening credits. Yeah, the opening credits. Yeah, I, I, I normally notice it when I watch older movies that it's like, all right, got to just whatever. I can look at my phone until the title card comes up, but right. it didn't even register for me this time. Right. Well, and I'm used to I'm used to movies. I'm used to just fast forwarding through them because usually you got some nice music like like Mary Poppins is a great example. You got some nice music, but just a million things of credits. It doesn't really add anything. Right. And I'm sure we can talk about that for a while. But I just thought that was since we talked about it last week, last month, uh, I can talk about it now. And so the thing that I was bothered by from the intro is that uh, why is the daughter with Fred? Because the housekeeper, the maid, or whatever that woman was, she let Susan go over to Mr. Gailey's apartment to watch the parade. I don't know. Okay. It seems like they, they know him just from being in the building. Let's see, that's what I was thinking. But then when he invites her in and he gets her a cup of coffee, he makes a, he makes a mention. I mean, he's very clearly hitting on her, and everybody knows it. She knows it. He knows it. Because he says something like, you know, I'm interested in you, and what I've heard is that, you know, you still form a relationship with the daughter, and then that should start a relationship with, with the wife, which little creepy, but... <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, how do you how did he start that relationship with the daughter? Because I, I get the impression that this is the first time that the mother and Mr. Ganey are meeting. Yeah, maybe he's around during the day sometimes, and so is the housekeeper, for lack of a better term, because we don't really know her very often. Right, perhaps and they run yep. into each other. They have a friendly relationship, and she determines he has a better view of the parade, and the little girl wants to watch the parade. I don't know. Right. I didn't well, think too deeply about. It. Well, and this is the other thing. I mean, this is society in 1943 or 47. Because, like, you know, I remember my mom who grew up in the 60s was telling me stories about, like, we'd be gone. And, like, you'd be back at some point. And your parents are just like, I'm going to cook dinner. And if you're not here, like, fine. And, like, you might come back just yourself. You might come back with three people. And it's like, it's just the way that life was. People weren't worried about kids being off on their own. It's like, okay. I mean, I'm glad that we as a society have progressed. You know, maybe it's just a societal thing. It bothered me. But that did lead to one of, like, one of my favorite lines or like little exchanges when uh, when Susan goes, did I say the right thing? And he's, and they have a little exchange about, yeah, you, d- you did great. And yeah. when she was trying to convince her mother to, to bring him over for Thanksgiving dinner. I thought, yeah, I thought that was a really charming exchange. Uh, there's a couple other things that you that you kind of brought up that are really the most of what I want to talk about. Uh, you mentioned uh, the theme of not commercializing Christmas, and you mentioned um, the the mother's viewpoint on trying to teach Susie about 
life and uh, and also about and, and i think i want to start here uh, this movie is so charming and a big reason for that is because of edmund gwen and natalie wood the chris kringle and Susie character i think that mm-hmm. they're what make this what makes this movie magic I, I just started listing notes that i think that they're all really sweet and one of them is uh when, when uh, chris kringle sings dutch to the little orphan girl that, that just yeah. melted my heart i thought that was just delightful and <laughs> my favorite Santa that i've ever seen like easily honestly probably for like, me as well no one else comes to mind off the top of my off the top of my head as being like great uh i mean yeah i mean i can think of like voice actors or whatnot but you know for as far as actual yeah, people portraying santa I, I i'd agree i think i think he does probably the best and uh this isn't really a him thing this is just the movie's charm but his employment card where his date of birth says as old as my tongue and a little older <laughs> than my teeth <laughs> and his next of kin are the eight reindeer yeah (laughs) same thing with the bubble gum like where she teaches him how to blow gum and you don't see it but you just see him picking gum out of his beard yeah yeah. and then also just when he when he stands up for the little guy i can't remember what's his face's name and then he bops him on the head with his cane (laughs) this movie's just charming and 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 delightful and it they are a big reason. He definitely deserved this Best Supporting Actor nomination, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And let's move to the not commercializing Christmas. I thought uh, I thought it was really this movie is all about the spirit of Christmas, and mm-hmm. uh, it was just it was just heartwarming to see to see that progression and and how Christmas is all about joy and and giving and gifts. And Christmas, man, it was weird seeing all these people frustrated in 1947 about getting all their Christmas shopping done. And like, I feel like we've reverted to that. Like probably never reverted we probably never left it's gotten but, worse right i mean it has to have right i mean like yeah. maybe because we have the internet like you know if you can buy things off of amazon or order online or whatever like and if, like maybe some of that stuff makes a difference as opposed to just i gotta go run to a store see if they have it and if they don't run to another store and see if they have it and see if, like jingle all the way style <laughs> but it's, it's still the the idea of I need to get these things. Like it's all about the things, things, things. It's not about, you know, a little girl's imagination or learning about life, just being able to pretend to be a monkey. Yeah. It's all just about the spirit of it all. um, And how that was, how it's been corrupted past all, all the stuff you mentioned, like joy and family and togetherness towards just consumerism. And well, that's the other thing. Even if you take religion out of the idea of what Christmas is supposed to be, yeah. it's at the very least a season of joy it's a season of thanks it's right. a season of giving it's a season of i mean joy right like i already said it but it's it's not about gifts it's not about presents it's not about all these other things it's actually kind of frustrating as an adult because like what do i get my adult brother and what do i get my adult right. sister like it also it also lead, led me to think like especially during this Christmas season, how are stores mm-hmm. adapting? And they aren't paying me to say this, but I really appreciate the way that Best Buy has been handling things because at least in my area, they were last to open out of most stores, even like, uh, like at least like fully open. They did curbside for a while. And like, it was to the point, even when everything was allowed to be open, they were like, yeah, I mean, you can come stand outside and somebody will go grab what you want and bring it out to you. And you can do a payment transaction out here. Like you're not allowed in the store without an appointment. And even now, like they're doing a bunch of curbside and it's in a mall parking lot. It's hard to get that set up. And I just really appreciate the way that they're handling things. I don't know. It's, it's nice to think of this world, especially I think of the scene where, uh, where they give Santa a nice big check. Macy gives Santa a nice big check. And he's just like, well, I think of this doctor who has this, who I know that has this x-ray machine, who needs an x-ray machine. And this won't quite cover it. And then like, they're competing to how can I help you? Right, yeah. So, uh, I I just thought that was nice. 
you know, yeah. this is capitalism. It's not gonna, <laughs> it's not gonna always be able to work like that. I agree with, with everything you're saying. It's part of why I love the movie so much because it, it gets down to the simplicity of it all, to what it is at its most pure, to its purest form. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, without all all the presents, all the running out, spending money, um, worrying about what you're gonna get, uh, where where you're gonna go, the best, whatever, you know, all this stuff. It's it's just about the core idea of what Christmas is, even like you said, even outside of the religious idea of it, because they don't even mention like the religious background of Christmas. They're just talking about like the spirit of Christmas as we understand it. And uh, yeah, I, I really love that a lot. I think the other thing I want to point out is that I, I think I get and understand why the mother does what she does about choosing not to tell Susie about Santa Claus and or choosing to tell tell her the truth. But at the same time, I think she goes too far. Like, uh, like she's like very like she didn't even want her going to see the Santa at the mall. And like, what's the harm in that? And like, she tries to make a good explanation for that because like I've been telling her this one thing, and then we're going and telling her this one other thing, and that's going to create long term psychological issues. And like, maybe, but it's something I struggle with. And uh, I know I know Dicer on the on Sip Pop Weekly has talked pretty openly about the way that he handled Santa with his kids and and how they never said it, but you know. He also he also explains to them why it's also important not to not to disrupt other other people's lives, um, not to walk around school being like Santa isn't real, Santa isn't real, but like to let them enjoy it, to let them have fun, but like to let them be in the spirit. And whether or not Santa's real does not impact the spirit of Christmas. And so the thing is, in the movie, it's not only that she's telling her daughter that Santa isn't real. It's like getting rid of any sort any kind of imagination and just making her live completely practical life yes um because my parents never tried to pretend santa was real for me like i i always knew it was just my parents getting me presents and that was from them the presents under the tree or from them but at the same time they let me watch fictional movies and read fiction you know and told me fictional stories and all this stuff and gave me an imagination and encouraged and encouraged that sort of thing so like i don't think believing in santa is the end all be all i think it's like a little symptom of her, her bad parenting overall but that's the thing right is that she changes by the end she understands yeah. why understand or thinking about more than just like being practical <laughs> like right. i don't remember the exact line but what is what does susan say is that my mother gets me all my gifts as long as they're practical and within, within a certain price range or something like that like sure it's like are you kidding you're like eight you shouldn't know this this sort of thing right but but I love I love the arc that the mom goes through, and I think that it's good that she has that attitude in the beginning because, and the way that Santa slash Chris Kingle uses this family as like a test group of if I can just change these two people's mind, then I can change everyone's mind because they they don't believe it at all, um, and right. if if he can get them believing at the end, then he knows there's hope for humanity and. And he does. Uh, like it just feels like the way that she is at the beginning is very much like if you're having a bad guy in an action movie and you need people to believe he's bad, like he kills you know a kitten in the beginning of the movie, and you're like, I figured he was bad. Like I don't need you to shove it down my throat. Like like I get that she's protective. You don't need to shove it down my throat. It just felt like a bit much. What was it that felt like a bit much that she wouldn't let her daughter believe in Santa? It was it was that she got so offended when Fred took her to see Santa because she didn't want little ideas corrupting her. 
it, yeah, that was that was that was it. Yeah, I guess we can agree to disagree because I I think it's essential for her change, and I think her change is really yeah really important and well done. It's like it's it's fine. I, I like I like where they have the character, and I'm fine if they want to have her start. Like I said, it just felt like I was just being, but like it was just being shoved down my throat. Like, and you know what? However, well, people kill any kittens. <laughs> right that we know of <laughs> probably a deleted scene somewhere uh yeah so you know and if you if 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 people want to do the santa thing or if they want to not do the thing like that's fine more power to you just have your reasons for it and and i'm good with it but also it's not my place to say <laughs> yeah you don't Man, have I a love- kid so have you told your dog that santa exists I mean, no, but I dress him up in a Santa coat, so. So there you go. You're indoctrinating him. No, um. no he is Santa. Oh, okay. I, I, I love the idea of Santa on trial. Um, I, I, I'm kind of surprised mm-hmm. that this hasn't happened more often. I mean, besides this and then the remakes and then like that grandma got run over by a reindeer. Like, is, is, are there things that I'm missing? Like Of Santa being on trial? Yeah. I don't think so. Like it's a fun concept, and I and I kind of like it. Though the reason that they that they used to prove that Santa was Santa was that two guys were just like, yeah, whatever. Let's just send him to this guy. Two guys in the middle. I know. That's what I have. Uh, like my very last note is like, what's the miracle? But it, ha- <laughs> it has to be that right because Fred was totally out of options and there's no reason that the postal service should have delivered them all there. But one guy said to another guy, which then it all happened and it all happened to be you know, perfect timing. Like that's the miracle, right? But like, it's not blatant. Like normally I think when we see like these Santa movies, you know, like we, we see Santa like waving magic pixie dust on something, right? Like, like, like yeah. in the Santa Claus or an elf or something like that. And like, he can make a miracle, but in this time it just happens to be the way it worked out. Yeah, he's just very good with words, you know. That, right. That's basically his superpower, quote unquote, in this movie. Right. Well, but um, I just, I just thought it was interesting. Why title it "Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street"? No, when, I, I agree. when where's the miracle? And not only that, but like, I, and I just like I hinted at when we talked about the synopsis. It takes forever for this trial to start. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about the movie. Um, like I literally knew nothing going into this, other than it was an old Christmas movie I'd never seen, um, and it had Santa and a little girl and the picture on disney plus when the when the trial started i was like oh this is turning into a courtroom drama now um and i I wrote down it's unlike any courtroom drama i've ever seen because (laughs) yeah i don't know it's not like done in bad faith or there's not like the sort of personal attacks that you get used to there's not people yelling and getting angry and going crazy of course each side is arguing their point but it's it just has a different feel than something like even trial of chicago seven or a few good men or something like that Sure. Um, I normally don't like courtroom dramas because I feel like I've seen so many and they're all the same, but this one, I still loved it maybe because it's so early on, but I, I thought it was great. Yeah. I, I was expecting more like a, like a To Kill a Mockingbird is kind of mm-hmm. what I was expecting where like you have your setup, but then like maybe half of the movie is, it takes forever. it's all set up and then you have the trial and like you need the setup because I need to believe that Fred believes this guy is Santa and I need to see the turn between the wife. I'm, I'm not saying I'm mad about it. I'm just saying like, it was just interesting that that's in the yeah. synopsis. Sure. It, it's almost like, and I've used this example before. It's almost like with the original Mad Max, 
the synopsis says, you know, when his family is killed, the, his family is killed 15 minutes before the end of that movie. It's, it's just like your plot synopsis is the first hour and 15 minutes of this hour and or yeah. is the the climax of the movie. It's it just weird. It threw me off. Um, but I, I really liked it. If I were to see a different version of this movie, I think I would like more of that trial. But I think one of the pros of this movie uh, and, and one of the things that I, I, I might be more apt to picking up this than maybe any other Christmas movie because it's charming. It's delightful. It gets across everything that you want in a Christmas movie, but it's also only like an hour and 34 minutes. Like, yeah. It's a Wonderful Life has to be the biggest like Christmas tradition, or like maybe a Christmas story. It's a Wonderful Life is a really freaking long movie. It's like two hours and like twenty eight minutes or something like that. It's incredibly long because it has so much build up, and I think it's one of those things that we just forget about. And it's like until we watch it, and we and I'm not. I love It's a Wonderful Life. I think it's excellent, but at the same time, like sometimes I just want an hour and a half, maybe a little bit more breezy movie. So I think I think. More often than not, I'd pick up this one, but I do think It's a Wonderful Life is maybe a better movie. I don't Sure, that's fair. More meaningful yeah. movie for sure. Yeah. And I'm going to also disagree with you. Not, not saying that you're okay. wrong. I just prefer different things where I was loving everything before the, the courtroom stuff. If it slowed down at all, I thought it slowed down when it got to the courtroom stuff because I was loving, you know, Santa living with uh, Mr. Gailey and their discussions with the, like Mr. Macy and, the doctor that Santa bonked on the head, all that, you know, I still, by the way, I still gave this five stars. So like I, okay. it didn't, didn't slow me down enough that I knocked it down anything. But if I were to change anything, it would just be less courtroom. But I, like I said, I still loved it for what it is exactly the way it is. Yeah. For the record, I gave this four and a half stars. Um, I was teetering between four and a half and five, but I just, I, I, I don't know that I would describe this movie as excellent. I would describe this as, great like really great i don't know that it quite go to excellent which is kind of my standard for a five star like i don't think i have it's a wonderful i think i have it's a wonderful life at either four four and a half just because i feel like it's too long mm-hmm. um, but again i think the message is better i think the that that movie embodies what i want out of out of christmas and yeah when i give my star ratings i kind of depending on the movie i can take my objectivity out of it if i think like oh this movie's too long or something like that but it still made me feel something and i still enjoyed the entire way through, I'll probably still give it a higher rating than if I was trying to give it an objective rating because that's what these ratings are anyway. Right. Um, so that, that's just the way I do it. Sure. I think I think the the movie slows down a bit for me in the trial, as I was talking about, but I think it's for one specific aspect. I think the judge and the external pressure on the Supreme Court. I don't care about any of it at all. That's the one part of the movie that I definitely would change. Uh, it, it adds a layer to try to make this movie a little bit more complex. But one of the things I really love about this movie is it's so simple. It, it's just a simple, sweet, charming story. And now you add an extra layer to it. That's frankly unnecessary. And it really pulls me out of that charm because, you know, unless, unless the end of it is the Supreme court is trying to get him to like, be like, you can't possibly rule that Santa Claus exists. And at the end, he has a change of heart and, and, you know, boldly proclaims, you know, against the wishes for the sake of the spirit of Christmas or whatever. Like, unless that's the case, which I don't even know that I want that. Right. Part of the reason why I love this movie is its simplicity. Yeah, I think they need to recount how many letters there were. Uh, maybe some lawsuits <laughs> to the Supreme Court. No. <laughs> yeah, that part, like, it didn't even register enough in my mind to detract or add to the movie overall. So, yeah, it's not big enough. It's not like a huge exactly. part to the movie. Yeah, that we haven't talked about is the idea of institutionalization 
at the beginning, the, I don't remember the doctor's name, but basically the, the villain of the movie, yeah, yeah. quote unquote villain. He said, Santa may have ADD. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He says, Santa may have ADD. So let's institutionalize him. <laughs> like, Is that how they did things in the 40s? Just because he had ADD, he needs to go into the, right. be institutionalized. Like, right. I, I thought that was a big step for him to take. A little bit more understandable when he hit him on the head because that's what he said was going to happen. Well, and that's the other thing that, like, we don't institutionalize unless it could cause violence to the self or to another. And he seemed like the person, the last person that would cause violence, but bonking him on the head. And, you know, he, he definitely, like, takes a dive. He definitely, <laughs> you know, leads into it more. He, he feigns unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to try to get him to go to prison. Embellishments and is on the power play. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's a little extreme, but. It's at the same time, like I said, that's one of those things where I'm like, I don't care because I enjoyed the rest of it so much. Yeah. And at the end, you know, it doesn't matter. And the dude gets his comeuppance. So. Yeah. I, I think I just have like three, three more moments that I just thought were, were incredible. Uh, yeah. So, so one of the things is just, I like to think of movies as a writer or director or both had an idea of a particular moment and everything else stems across from that. Like you start at one point and then everything else just kind of bubbles. Okay. Now how do we get there? And then how do we move that? And this, I mean, I love when movies do that and I love how there's a very clear point uh, in that movie here because it's the end of that opening statement where everybody's just laughing at this trial and you very like, I intend to prove that Santa in the court of law that Santa Claus exists and just, like I love like being able to see that inception and then, okay, now how did we get here? And now where do we go from here? Like, yeah. it's just interesting to me being such a fan of like storytelling and how that works and how mm. important it is. The other two things is just Fred bringing the prosecution son on the witness stand was just the ballsiest move I had <laughs> ever seen. And I straight up just like looked at my, like was sitting on my couch. and was just like, damn. <laughs> and the kid, and then, he said exactly what he wanted him to say too exactly like it was perfect uh and then same thing with uh with with dumping the bags of letters on the desk like you knew it was coming from a mile away there's like a few moments in there you want like the gif of like the sunglasses coming down (laughs) onto fred's face (laughs) exactly put them on my desk put them here it's like fine and then just (laughs) 17 guys come in with bags over their shoulders and drop them all there and yo, everybody's laughing. Everybody's having a good time in the courtroom. Like I love courtroom dramas. I'm unlike you in that man. Apparently, we just opposite genres because you know I love courtroom dramas and I love '60s noir stuff. But yeah. I like when they're able to have a lightheartedness to them too. Like to, mm-hmm. I'm always down for like a Sorkin one too. But like I, I Sorkin's kinda, the exception for me. Yeah, I like I like these like liar liar types. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, know, I just thought both of those moments were very memorable. The last scene, or yeah, the last thing about. Miracle on 34th Street, I wanted to, you mentioned it earlier, but how much I just loved the scene of, I don't remember the character's name, but the guy's wife being drunk on the phone. <laughs> oh yeah, the- bring Santa Claus over. He could spend the night. <laughs> yeah, he handed her the phone. It was upside down. Then he tried to switch it. <laughs> she just put it in the other hand, still upside down. For some reason, that really tickled me. I loved that part. We typically have martinis for dinner. I'll make it double strength. <laughs> but don't worry, I made it triple strength. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for some, yeah, just that whole thing is just really, really good. I like that. Yeah. 
I I as well really like that. Which yeah, I learned about the Catholic leading decency recently because I watched a documentary on Hulu called uh, it's not a Hulu original, but it's called Skin: A History of Nudity in the Movies. And I thought it would be interesting because I really like uh, there's a documentary called This Film Is Not Yet Rated, which is a critique of the MPAA. And I think that one's actually interesting. It's not perfect, but it's interesting. But to me, Skin was a uh, just an excuse to show a montage of nude mo- nude. Um, scenes in movies i did i did not like it at all but i did learn uh two things um one is the catholic legion of decency and the other is that the reason why adult films eventually went to x rating is because they didn't trademark the x rating and so the mpaa would give a movie an x rating and then adult films because it wasn't trademarked would just label their film as X without actually getting it officially passed through the MPAA. Oh. <laughs> of, and then eventually that became synonymous, which is why we now have the NC-17 instead of the X. Right. I just thought, I, I thought that was, I learned something. And the other thing I learned was the Catholic Legion of Decency was essentially the MPAA before the MPAA, where they would get, give a movie a scale based off of moral integrity. I'm glad that you uh, watched that doc and gave me all the points because I saw it pop up on Hulu. I uh, thought, oh, this could be interesting looked up its rating it had like middling reviews and i was like i hope this isn't just like a sex scene montage and then passed on watching it there's some interesting stuff in there but it's just not necessarily anything new and it's definitely not more than you could read in a wikipedia or more than you can't read in a wikipedia article like i don't recommend it um yeah i I don't have any more notes i loved it uh i i would definitely put this in a uh if i'm assembling my own criterion collection i'm putting this in there me too I think it's already one of the best Christmas movies I've ever seen. So, yeah, and like I haven't seen White Christmas or Holiday Inn, and like I, pro- you know, I haven't seen Klaus yet. Like this is as good as It's a Wonderful Life, Elf, A Christmas Story, the ones that I hold near and dear. Yeah, uh, this this is that good. I immediately went and put this on my favorite movies of all time. Oh, nice. Um, it's I mean it's way low. It's like in the nineties somewhere, but like. I think this is good enough that it that it warrants that. So, mm-hmm. well, let's move on to the Nightmare Before Christmas. Then this is a 1993 movie. You can also catch this streaming on Disney Plus. Synopsis here is Jack Skellington, the king of Halloween Town, discovers Christmas Town, but his attempts to bring Christmas to his home causes confusion. Reason why this movie might be considered a goat: it has an 8.0 on IMDb, 82 on Metacritic, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes couple other notes about this movie that uh, while the story was done by tim burton neither the screenplay nor direction was his doing uh this is tim burton's nightmare before christmas but he has yeah limited involvement uh, in addition to scoring the film danny elfman also provided the vocal performance for jack skellington the singing uh performance not the just talking that was a different act voice actor disney released this originally through touchstone because they believed it was too dark and scary for kids but in 2006 after its popularity reclaimed it as their own rebranding it disney's the night before christmas Uh, roger ebert said that the visual effects were revolution as revolutionary as star wars taking into account nightmare but woods filled with imagination that carries us into a new world and whenever Robert, Roger Ebert says something like that, you note it. D- Danny Elfman was worried that the characterization of Oogie Boogie would be considered racist by the NAACP, which actually was he was right. But the director, Henry Selleck, stated that the character was inspired by a Betty Boop's cartoon starring Cab Calloway. So it's nominated for an Oscar in Best Visual Effects. This is nominated for the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. This won a Saturn Award for Best Fantasy Film, and Elfman also won a Saturn for Best Music, and this was nominated for Animation. This is nominated for a Best Original Score at the Golden Globe. This was ranked number one on Rotten Tomatoes' Top 25 Best Christmas Movies list. That was a shocker. 
Uh, Disney wanted to do a sequel in 2001 using CGI rather than stop motion, but Burton con- convinced Disney otherwise. He's been very vocal that we won't get a sequel to keep the purity of the original film, but uh, Henry Selleck remains open to the idea of a sequel. In 2004, the video game Nightmare Before Christmas, Oogie Bo- Oogie's Revenge, did serve as a sequel, however, with Burton's advice and the art director's collaboration. And in 2015, 16, 18, and 19, there were live concert shows in the U.S. and Europe. And in February 2019, a new film was announced that would either be stop-motion sequel or a live-action remake. In 2019, of October 2019, Chris Sandrin expressed interest in reprising the role of Jack if a sequel ever comes out. But there's been no news other than those two things. So who knows whether it's actually going to happen. And uh, there have been several card games. 2005 card game, a 2007 party game, a Jenga game, and a version of Munchkin, which I love Munchkin. I've so, never heard of Munchkin. Man, if you're looking for like a good like just party card game um, and with some friends that are willing to embrace some medieval type stuff, I mm. love me some Munchkin. When I think of Munchkin, I think of donut holes, which obviously makes me think of it. <laughs> donut hole? Had a donut in its center. <laughs> or whatever that line is, it's so convoluted. Can I add one more trivia? <laughs> we look closer to our... Yeah, you can add one more trivia. Aaron, you're a Christian guy. I'm guessing you... Would, would I be accurate in assuming you grew up on VeggieTales? I did. Phil Vischer, co-creator of VeggieTales, uh, said that his inspiration for the voice of Mr. Nezer came from the Oogie Boogie Man. I love it. That is a great piece of trivia. Yeah. <laughs> Once Big Idea got sold and it was owned by DreamWorks, they said that Mr. Nezer wasn't allowed to be used anymore because it was a white man doing a a black caricature, even though Mr. Nezer is a zucchini. (laughs) (laughs) They said ethnic characters are only allowed to be portrayed by actors of that ethnicity. I maintain he is a zucchini. So you have to cast a zucchini to play a zucchini. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Anyway, that, um, extra trivia. Um, I love that extra trivia. I'd I heard it a while ago, and then when I watched it for the first time, I said, "I totally see what you're going for." I, I, I definitely see it in retrospect now. So, uh, so I'd seen this movie several times. Uh, Robert, you hadn't. Nope. What excited you about watching this most? Honestly, not much. We made this list of movies to do a long time ago. We were looking for Christmas movies. I said, "I've seen a lot of Christmas movies. This is pretty much the biggest one I hadn't seen. I've never really had much interest in seeing it, but." For the good of the podcast and for the good of my standing as a film fan, I said I'll watch it. So that's pretty much my entire reason for watching it. Cool. Uh, I didn't grow up with this movie. Um, uh, first time I saw it was in college. I think it was my sophomore year because I was living with a roommate who loved it and wa- just watched it with me one night because it was on Netflix at the time. I definitely think my experience was elevated by uh, by the people around me that loved this movie. Uh, because then it was no joke my my then girlfriend's favorite movie of all time and so we watched it a couple times and watching it with her was just a a treat because it's fun to watch movies with people that love movies people that love that movies like if you come over and watch the nice guys with me we're gonna have a blast Mm -hmm. yo but like don't come over and try to watch like terminator dark fate with me (laughs) because we're not gonna have a blast right so i i definitely think some of that has influenced me and i've had a weird history with this movie but uh Robert, finally, after watching this, uh, do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay? I didn't like it. Ooh, okay. I watched it two, like two nights ago, two, three nights ago. I said, what the heck is this? <laughs> it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. That's why I've never watched it. Didn't like it. I was like, maybe I missed something. Watched it again today. Still didn't like it. So <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I love this movie. Uh, the first time I saw it, I would have said I liked it. And then the second time I saw it, 
so first time I watched it was with my roommate. Second would have been with my girlfriend. And uh, I would have said um, I really liked it. And then after the third time, I would have said I loved it. But then I watched it alone. And I was like, I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Low standard liked it. But I've seen it probably two or three times since then. And each time has been, I love it. It just hits me different each time I watch it. It hits me different depending on who you're watching it with. It's one of those movies that I wouldn't recommend trying to watch alone the first time watching it, but watch it with some, even if even if people haven't seen it. Yeah, I watched it alone twice. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how much that affects things, but to each their own, um, and, and that's fine. Uh, at one point, I had this as uh, my highest rated animated movie of all time. Wow. Uh, it was still in like the 20s or something like that of all time, but uh, I've, sensed, I've since reduced it. Because I realized I was just overhyping it because that's the one thing. If you can get so many people around you that love something, it's going to increase your love of something. And uh, and as those people went away, it deteriorated slightly, my love for it. I started to become a little bit more rational about it. I now have it at like number 44 of all time. It's my fifth favorite animate, animated movie, but it is my first non-Pixar. Uh, where do you want to start? Yeah, I don't know. I For some reason, just none of it hit me. Okay. I guess that's a good place to start. Like, I normally just look for something to latch on to. Like, I, I will say the stop motion animation is done incredibly well. That always mm-hmm. impresses me when stop motion is done. Stop motion is done well, and it, it certainly is here. But a film being done well only gets you so far. I don't think this is as bad as Joker, but this is that's how I felt about Joker. Like I said, this is a well-made movie. The acting is great. The like it's well shot, but I hate it. You know, um, yeah. like. I don't, I don't hate Nightmare Before Christmas. It's just like totally mad to me. And when I, when I watch a movie, I'll always like watch it, think about it, log it on Letterboxd and then read the reviews of the people I follow on Letterboxd. I tried that to see like, maybe someone's going to open my mind, like shine a light on something that I missed and it didn't happen. Like people talked about how it's nostalgic from their childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, the songs are catchy and they get stuck in your head. And other than the, this is Halloween and uh, what's this like when he first gets into the Christmas land, Christmas town? Yep. Those are the only two that I cared for at all. I'm just rambling now, but like the main female character whose arm falls off and Sally. Who, yeah, Sally. And she tries to poison her creator, owner, whatever that relationship Something. is. Something. Yeah. Um, Chapter. Yeah. Like that's a whole other thing. She's kind of obsessed with Jack the whole time. And then. They never have an interaction until the end and they're like, oh, sure, let's fall in love. And then they kiss on the mountain thing. None of it works for me. It's not offensively bad to me. It's just like confusing and I don't, it's just not my type of movie. Sure. Here's what I'm, what I think is going to happen. I choose to ignore all the stuff that you just hit on and I choose to instead just live in the spirit and the concept of this movie. And I wind up having a really good time when I do. Because it's, to me, this movie is all about the way you approach it. If you're if you're approaching it as a is this going to make rational logical sense is am I going to get attached am I going to get attached to these characters in an hour and fifteen minute movie like not on your first watch <laughs> but am I going to be delighted by the songs am I going to be enamored by the animation am I going to appreciate the voice work am I going to be in love with the creativity this movie has and that's, so that's kind of I think I'm that second part. There are definitely parts of this moment, parts of this movie that aren't great, but I do think that when it hits, it hits strong. And I, so I have this at like a five out of five on Letterbox. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you give it a rating of? Uh, I think a two and a half. Okay, that's not as bad as I thought based off of what you were saying. Yeah, like I said, I didn't hate it. Like I understood the craft, and I understood that it's just not for me. Like I sure. see what other people get. Like again with Joker, I think I gave that like a one or one and a half. Like I don't think people should like this movie, um, but. Like, <laughs> 
Nightmare Before Christmas, like I see why people like it. And I knew going in, Tim Burton isn't always my thing. Well, that's, I guess that's probably the other part of it is like, I like Tim Burton. I don't know that I love Tim Burton. I, I, I really like Tim Burton, to be honest. But like, no, neither have I. Uh, Edward Scissorhands, like, I, I think it's good, but also like the, the presentation just doesn't work. Same with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, even Batman. I've never seen the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm talking Batman next month with Ben. I, I think Sweeney Todd is it's just great. It's excellent. It's perfect for that. Like he, he is perfect for what that vibe uh, of that movie needs. Sweeney Todd, I still have to watch, and I am going into that. Like I go into stuff with an open mind. Like sure. like in in this case, I'm not surprised when it doesn't work for me. Sure, it's hard to imagine anybody else doing Sweeney Todd. Um, it really needs to be somebody like Burton. But also, like, if you just don't like Burton, then you're probably not going to like it. It's a very Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I know Big Fish is also another one that people talk about a lot. Which yeah, that's I what was, I haven't seen. I saw it in high school. I didn't like it, but I'm sure I'd like it now. There are five main reasons, uh, four main reasons to love this movie uh, for me. And uh, we talked about art direction. Man, this movie looks stunning. I watched it on Disney Plus this time. I own a Blu-ray of it, but I just for the sake of uh, Disney Plus streams in 4K. And I was just interested to see to see it play out on Disney Plus as opposed to just the Blu-ray this time. I, it doesn't really matter. It looks stunning still. Um, I think the stop motion is perfect for the movie's style and tone. I, I can't imagine this. I can imagine this being 2D animation, like, but that's about it. Like, I can imagine this being like a, like a How the Grinch Stole Christmas style, but yeah. I couldn't see this in 3D or CG or anything like that. Like I said, this is one of... The things I did appreciate about it, I thought the animation, the art direction was all well done. Yep. Even I, the premise of it, like I like the premise of sure. like each of the different trees and doors for a different holiday and then mixing them up where it's like now Santa brings Halloween a bit to Christmas town and there's Christmas and Halloween town. I, I like that. I'd like to think I like to think about the implications of each world only having the one holiday and everything being devoted to that. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's an interesting premise, but yeah. Would you watch a sequel? Depends on what it would be. If it was going to explore that idea more, but if it was just like more Jack doing whatever, probably. Okay, that's fair. Man, I don't want to see a live action movie of this um, sequel or remake. It'd have to look like Beetlejuice, right? Yeah, yeah. I would see a stop motion sequel or even sequel series. um, And I would like, I would, I would be okay seeing a 2D animation uh and only way i could see it being done in 3d is if it's presented like a like like a studios yeah like box trolls or paranorman or mm. frank or something like that yeah which burton has history with so mm. but you know there then there would be a rights issue <laughs> right uh, so art direction is one of them uh another one is soundtrack i think elfman is perfect in both composing and singing and yeah i mean you you mentioned the two songs that i particularly love uh i will throw in one other one and that is kidnap the sandy claws Mm. I, I think that one is just a lot of fun. I think it's great. This is Halloween gets the most credit um, for being excellent and rightfully so. But my personal favorite is what's this. Yeah. Um, this is Halloween kind of sets the tone. It's like, oh, you got a fun, catchy song right at the beginning. It's a perfect intro. Yeah. Like, it's the great way to set up this world, to set up what this, what these characters like. What's a, what's a world that's dedicated to exclusively Halloween? What does that look like? And it's just perfect. But you also like this world feels lived in. And so what does celebrating doom and gloom eventually eventually wears on the soul? And you can see Jack is a, is a troubled soul and he's trying to find a little bit of happiness because he's the king of this town, but he's just not satisfied uh, anymore. He's, he's, he's wanting something new. And so that's why it, seeing his delight and his desire to 
you know, do Christmas. It's just, it's great. But uh, yeah, my favorite song is What's This? And a lot of that is because of Jack's experience of new things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's definitely the best song, but if you think it's This Is Halloween, not gonna, not gonna fight anybody on that. There's also a rock remix for this whole album. Like bands like uh, Flyleaf and Korn and Marilyn Manson. I know Marilyn Manson one is pretty popular. He did This Is Halloween. But there's a whole like, you could buy a two pack of the original soundtrack and then like Korn does Kidnap the Sandy Claws and it's awesome to listen to. All right. uh, and, I, and I don't like Korn at all. <laughs> so there's that. And, and not every great, not every song is great or excellent, but I don't think there's a song that I don't like. I, I like, I like Oogie Boogie song. I really like Jack's Lament. Even Sally's song. I kind of, I, I don't know that there's a song that I don't like. See, after those two, those first two, it, they're all just forgettable to me. Like nothing became an earworm. Nothing caught my ear as I was watching it. It was just those sure. two. Like, oh, these are fun. Well, and, and I think I felt the exact same way when I first saw it. I thought, Sandy Claus, what's this? And this is Halloween are great. The rest of the songs are very forgettable and I don't love them. But I've definitely come around on them. I like I like them all each a little bit more as we get better. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, but I'm just saying that's what happened with me. The last two reasons to love this movie are creativity and originality, which we've talked quite a little, quite a lot about. I, I think I just have one one note out of all the things I wrote and written about this is just uh, what does Valentine's Day world look like? <laughs> is it just like a bunch of retro- restaurants in town that are overbooked and in a line out the door? See, there's a good sequel trying to figure out Valentine's <laughs> Day world or town. <laughs> Like, like, like I get St. Patrick's Day, right? It looks, you know, maybe there's a parade, probably lots of alcohol involved, uh, leprechauns and hats and stuff like, you know, the green, green, lots of green everywhere. I can see St. Patrick's Day. I can see Thanksgiving, autumn leaves, festive meals. Uh, I could, I could see these worlds. I could see Easter, right? Easter icons, kid friendly, lots of colors, lots of like a pastel type of color. Yeah. What is Valentine's Day other than just overbooked restaurants? Yeah. <laughs> No, but you you bring up a good point because I like that. That's what I was talking about. Where I like the the premise of the world. It it kind of shows this in Halloween Town. Is every day other than Halloween just like build up to make Halloween the best day that they possibly can, and then the next year it's like the same thing but a little bit different. Is it a little different though? I get the it's feeling just, that it's like are their lives just incredibly repetitive, and that's why Jack was like, I need something new. I get the feeling that that's that, that they, that they just rehearse and rehearse and rehearse for this one performance. I don't know if maybe it's supposed to be a different, you know, rehearsal every year. You know, if it's supposed to be, you know, maybe a different song uh, and a different routine and all that. Like, I don't know if maybe they just choreograph for a one night only performance for a year. Yeah. Um, or if it's the same performance every year. I don't, well, who I don't are they know. performing for just themselves. Themselves. Right. Okay. <laughs> I have the suspension of disbelief. I'm just trying to understand the rules of the world. Like I'm not saying, I'm oh, that's not fine. counting that against the movie or anything. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's fair. I don't, I, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. I don't know that there is an answer for you, uh, sure. except for external, you know, Tim Burton and interviews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have three more notes. <laughs> One of them is my favorite sequence is Jack and Christmas Town, both times, mm-hmm. uh, because the first one, like I said, just the amazement that that joy filling his likely depressed heart uh, was just is just charming to see. Uh, and uh, uh, and especially when he comes back later to be Santa Claus and he's just dropping a bunch of gifts that they made in Halloween. Just awful things, yeah. My favorite shot in that movie, it makes me laugh every single time, is when there's a kid who's just standing in a doorway screaming and his hair is all spiked up because he's screaming mm-hmm. and there's just a snake devouring a tree. <laughs> it's like three or four seconds. It's so funny to me. 
I applaud the imagination that goes into something like something like this. Like, where do you think of all this different crap? It's hard to believe that Tim Burton didn't direct this. I didn't realize that until two nights ago or whatever. My, one of my other notes is, LOL, snow on a Halloween being an anomaly. Tim Burton must have never been to the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. My last note is is actually a complaint. It's it's just that I, I think that, well, I think that movie is a good time. Hour, 15 minutes, a pretty brisk watch. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to throw on. Both of these movies that we've talked about this week have been. But it just kind of ends rather quickly and simply. Kind of like you alluded with the Jack and Sally relationship all of a sudden being like, oh, yay, we're in love now. And like, there's no build up to it whatsoever. What are, what are the, what are the replications of Christmas Town? Santa being aware of the existence of Halloween and vice versa. Like, is there potentially a sequel where, everybody swaps worlds for a day or you know, Halloween town comes to Easter on East. Like do, mm-hmm. do, do they invite everybody? Like it, I'm interested in maybe that as a sequel, like series yeah. though, where like everybody from the other worlds comes over to Halloween on Halloween town. And so they give her performance, but they do it for Easter and Christmas and St. Patrick's day and all that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's my biggest, just everything wraps up quickly. And again, it's not the point uh, of the movie, but then why have it in there just to pad the runtime? Right. Because Without all the stuff with Sally and the stuff back at Halloween Town while he's off, you know, trying to find himself, this is a short film. You know, it's like a animated short that could win that Oscar instead of the animated yeah. feature. Well, and I wonder if the original idea for this was a short as opposed to a full feature length. Because, yeah, it's still short for a feature length movie. You don't see many hour 18 minute feature length movies. Yep. Couldn't agree with more. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything more to say? Uh, I don't No. This movie's either going to be up your like up your alley or not. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. To some people, it's not, but you know, maybe in ten years it might be. Or it's not a perfect movie, but I like it. Uh, I love it. Uh, Robert, would you would you call it a goat? Uh, I wouldn't. If even if we're doing this like on a making our own criterion, and I wanted to put a stop motion, I would put like Fantastic Mr. Fox or Kubo or something like that. Um, okay. Something I think is better. So, and I just didn't like the story or enjoy the music. So. I would obviously. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think on merits of its artistic direction alone, it deserves to be in a Criterion Collection. Our version of of that man. Here's a here's a fun scenario I just thought about. Like if, if for the way that we could describe like building our own Criterions is like if we as the writers room are going to put a put some together. It's it's your vote, my vote, and the listeners vote, and two out of three wins. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So so I guess if you think it's a goat listening, then it's a goat, and if not, then it's not, <laughs> and right. I'm outvoted. I th- yeah, like I said, I think art direction alone deserves for this to be recognized as something truly great. You know, understanding it has it has its faults. Yeah, yeah I'm sure I would be outvoted. Like I know I'm pretty much in the minority here. So and I'm not so sure. I, I I think there's I think there's a lot of people that are lukewarm about this movie. There's just people that are people that love this movie are, are very outspoken about it. That's fair. Uh, especially i know that like especially you can't go into a hot topic and not have the store be a nightmare before christmas at this point yeah where i live you can't go into a hot topic at all <laughs> on the next goats next month we'll be talking about rocky and quiz show and that'll be really interesting to do but before we move on robert has your ranking of goats changed as you uh do you have a new king of your favorite goats of all time or are you still sticking with rope i think i do i think it is miracle on 34th street right for for now that's where i have it okay that's one that i think i could put on even though it is only a christmas movie like but i enjoy watching it whereas rope it's not like a easy watch it's a suspenseful make you think type and i prefer like the the enjoyment over the suspense make you think type so this week i've got my favorite and my least favorite goat so far oh least favorite oof uh even worse than like rebel without a cause because I think yeah. I gave that two and a half stars. 
Yeah, I, I still did like Rebel Without a Cause decent enough. Okay. Oof. Hurts my heart just a little bit, but uh, that's okay. My my favorite still LA Confidential. I you know if you had asked me a year ago it would have been Nightmare Before Christmas, but I think I think I, I think this is even my third favorite because I think I put Rope above it as well, and this is right about where Seven Samurai is for me. But uh, and then uh, so I think but I think I had it just above than Seven Samurai, and then I still have Goldfinger above New Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. But I wouldn't be surprised if that one makes a steady climb. Miracle on Thirty Fourth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean it's still relatively high, but it's also there's a difference between. You know, Seven Samurai being so iconic and Goldfinger, you know, I've seen it two or three times at this point, and James Bond being so iconic. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you're dealing with a movie versus a franchise, and it, it's kind of hard to separate those. And I think, give me a couple of years and I'll watch Beer of Gold 34th Street a couple more times. And I have a sneaking suspicion it'll climb. Yeah, nice. Great. Uh, well, on to the B plot then. Uh, Robert, I chatted with you quite a bit about these because i think they're just a lot of fun uh but i thought let's let's try to make our own uh like insane movie connections i guess is probably the the best way to title it and the best way to describe it is just to give you examples and I, I just remember sharing this with you when i first saw it but it was just the way to connect two movies is uh knives out and the girl with the dragon tattoo being daniel craig with an accent teaming up with a woman to solve a crime about christopher Plummer's horrible family and one of them is a nazi <laughs> and like <laughs> That's just a lot of fun. It's really funny. It's creative to try to think about those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that they're, I don't know, it's just fun for me to try to think of these things where you take two movies that are completely different, you know, at their core, you, you try to make them the same. Uh, and, and another example here uh, is garden parties held on summer's day that ter- on a summer's day that turns to violence upon the arrival of an uninvited guest. And that would be parasite and crazy, stupid love. <laughs> we should switch the scenes in those movies. Like, <laughs> Make Parasite a comedy and Crazy Stupid Love turn into, like, horror. Okay. <laughs> well, and it's one of those things, too. Like, the more you can expound on this, the better. Because, like, yeah. you know, Daniel Craig realizing how awful Christopher Palmer's family is. Like, is funny. But with an accent, teaming up like a woman to solve a crime, and one of them is a Nazi. <laughs> like, yeah. Which then also, because Knives Out is hilarious, when he, when he straight up calls the, the kid from It, he says, the, the thing that the Nazi child overheard in the bathroom. <laughs> Like it just makes me think of that line. Yep. Uh, anyway, uh, Robert, I think you have more with me. So, and I feel like I've been talking for a while. So, so why don't you go ahead and, and kick us off? Unfortunately, I didn't think of as many as I wanted to because anytime I ever think of this, it comes while I'm watching a movie. I'll be like, "Oh, this is just like a scene and whatever." So I wasn't able to come up. I I used older ones, and one okay. is one that I've mentioned on this show before, and an, another one probably doesn't even count. So I'll probably I'm just gonna throw it out quickly. And it's just that in every movie called Spider-Man 2, Peter Parker gives up being Spider-Man. So in the Toby, Andrew, and Tom Holland versions, he always gives up being Spider-Man for, for a bit. Anyway. Right. So you're, you're going to try to guess, right? I'm giving the description. Yeah, I'm guess yours. All right. Here we go. A rushed first encounter with an antagonist, badly hurt. The, the protagonist has to step down from what they're known for, train to get back while off somewhere in the desert, come back and defeat the antagonist in an epic final fight. So one of them is The Dark Knight Rises for sure. Yes. It's the desert thing that I know it's, it's got a hinge on the desert. John Wick 2? No. Creed 2. Oh, I haven't seen Creed 2. Oh, so. man. I plan on probably watching them all after we watch Rocky for next month. Oh, have you seen any of the Creeds? Or either Creed? I've not seen any of the Rocky uh, movies. I'm So here's the thing. I'm pretty sure I've seen all of Rocky, just not in one sitting. Gotcha. Or like even intentionally. Like I'm pretty <laughs> sure I, I know the movie. I've yeah. seen it. But no, I haven't seen any of them. Nice. Uh, do you want to keep going or do you want me to go? Yeah, why don't you do one? Yeah, I, I, I know I've mentioned this one to you, and I actually have this one as a published list on Letterboxd, but action movies based on a book directed by John McTiernan, where the male protagonist monologues to himself in a narrow space crawling, crawling towards the camera. 
Oh, one of them was Die Hard, right? Yep. I haven't seen many John McTiernan, so I, I'm not going to guess the other. It's uh, The Hunt for Red October. Gotcha. So I, I thought that was fun. But especially, again, the more specific you get, action movies based off a book directed by John McTiernan. Right. Hit me. Movies where a person has to fill the shoes of their parent and has to learn about how to navigate life in their new position, while the movie pr- frames the present-day story with flashbacks of said parent when they were in when they were the protagonist's age. Is Freaky Friday one of them? <laughs> no, and I'm pretty sure you haven't seen one of them. Okay, I'm like, well, I know that there's no flashbacks in Freaky Friday. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like Freaky Friday and This Is Us. <laughs> no, I don't have a clue, man. <laughs> Godfather Two and Mamma Mia, here we go again. <laughs> I've not seen Mamma Mia 2. And you you were saying fill the roles of the parent. And I was literally thinking Freaky Friday, big, something oh, like that. Oh, no. It's like after Don Vito Corleone dies, then Al Pacino becomes the head of the family. Well, I'll give you one that I think you should get. Okay. Um, Late 2010s movie set in the past in Los Angeles with two male leads in the same profession, one of whom is a drunk and, and one who is a has-been, who are interested in the movie industry and Margaret Qualley. There's also a shootout in the main character's home, a disappointing box office return, and a child actor that is easily the best part of the movie. Yeah, so that's uh, Nice Guys in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. I mean, I have to get the nice guys in there somewhere. Right? You, yeah, you made it too easy once you said Margaret Qualley, though. Well, especially like who are interested in Margaret Qualley right. because context. <laughs> yeah, well, I've only seen her. She's only been in a few things. Anyway. Again, a couple I'm not sure if you've seen, but I'm going to say them anyway. Movies where my fantasy heroes shield their children from the realities of life. Is one of them Shazam? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't have a clue, man. Brigsby Bear and Captain Fantastic. Have you no, seen any of those? Either, no. All right. So here we go again. Late 2010s action movies where Will Smith gets in too deep with his job and has a son who is a trained killer and has to fight with the son. But uh, now knowing who he is until just before the climax of the movie and he is eventually at the mercy of his son, but for no good reason is spared and they live happily ever after. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I feel like I haven't seen any Will Smith stuff lately. Any late 2010s. After Earth, is that one of them? I just know he's in it with his son. No. Um, I'm just going to name Will Smith movies. Focus? Nope. <laughs> I have no idea then. Suicide? Uh, no, this would be Bad Boys 3 and Gemini Man. Oh, didn't see either. So uh well gemini man is like it's not technically his son it's a clone with the end of the movie they essentially treat him as like a son and so i figured that's a good enough leap and bad voice three like that's the plot of the movie and it was hard it was hard to get to where i want to go that was a little clunky of a paragraph yeah eventually finds out halfway through the identity of his son and then the son he's at the mercy of the son and the son for no reason at all decides not to kill him and they live happily ever after 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 all right you have one more right uh, I've got two more. Um, oh, yes. Let's do it. I don't think either of them are good for guessing, though. One is uh, one that you've heard before. Gritty movies that take place around Christmas time and Russell Crowe plays a tough guy L.A. detective with a backdrop in the sex work in- industry. So L.A. Confidential and the Nice Guys. Yeah. That's the one I brought up when we talked about L.A. Confidential. And then the last one. Do you have any more? Nope. I'm good. Yeah. My last one is uh, the late Irfan Khan talking to or about a character named Richard Parker. So one of them's a Spider-Man movie. Yep. <laughs> is the other one a Spider-Man movie? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't know. The Life of Pi. Got it. Which Spider-Man movie would it be? Amazing Spider-Man. The first Amazing Spider-Man. Got it. Have you seen Life of Pi? No. Oh, no, the tiger's name is is Richard Parker. Got it. That makes sense. Irfan Khan plays the uh, the like the grown-up version of Pi. Cool. 
Well, that was a lot of fun. I uh, appreciate you playing along. And uh, let's do our very last thing here, which is the spinoff. What's that one thing in pop culture that you want to tell everybody to watch or to avoid? Uh, so I recently, I was trying to watch all of uh, David Fincher's movies. And this isn't going to be a David Fincher movie. But the only place to find Panic Room was uh, without having to pay for it was on uh, Stars. So I got a free trial of Stars. And I said, while I'm here, might as well watch other movies that are that I haven't seen that are on here. One that of them sense. was The Professional, uh, alternate title, Leon the Professional. Mm-hmm. I can't name the director or the main actor. Off this the top is of uh, Luke, Luke Besson. Yeah. And I don't remember the name of the main actor, but you got Gary Oldman and a very young Natalie, Natalie Portman. Portman there. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. It's the kind of movie that I really love where it's, it's very spiritual in ways that you're not going to expect. You enjoy watching it. It's very entertaining. It's got great performances, especially from Natalie Portman, uh, the main actor who we can't remember the name of, and Gary Oldman. I love in everything except Mank kind of bored me. But yeah, it, it was great. It reminded me of, of stuff like In Bruges or uh, Seven Psychopaths or, or uh, like a Martin McDonough movie, basically. So The Honor yeah. Professional, very, very, very good. Yeah, we're looking for uh, Jean Reno or Jean Reno. Probably, probably neither of those, but <laughs> J E A N R E N O. Yeah, he's a, he's a face I recognize. I saw this movie in high school, and uh, I thought it was okay, but I watched it a couple of years ago, and I was like, yeah, I like. When I saw it in high school, I took it at surface level. When I saw it a couple of years ago, I saw it for what it actually is intended to be, and it's it's great. Yeah, it's got a lot going on thematically, and I always love that. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Silent Partner. I watched this movie. Uh, it's been on my want to watch list for a while. And it's a movie that I just never heard of. But Jonathan Watkins talked about it on uh, as a recommend, I think on Behind Sin podcast uh, at one point. And uh, it's it's a really interesting movie. It's really entertaining. I'm going to tell you the kind of setup for this movie. And when I say it's not a spoiler, you'll be like, what, really? So you, it's it opens up with... Elliot Gold, so Ross and Monica's dad on Friends, but a a young Elliot Gold, is a bank teller at this bank in a mall. And there's a mall Santa. He's threatening to rob the place with a note um, saying, I have a gun in my pocket. Give me all the cash. But for some reason, either drops the note or doesn't have it or something. And Elliot Gold finds it. He keeps it a secret. And then so when mall Santa comes back to actually try to rob him, he has a bunch of money that he has already set aside. And then when Moss Santa gets away, instead of, you know, he, he actually leaves with like just a couple thousand dollars, but they say he left with like 40,000 because Elliot Gold stashed you know, 35,000 or something like that. That's the setup for this movie. Because what you get after that is when he sees himself on the news and he's like, I didn't steal this much money. So the teller must have been in on it. And so now you have this like, it's a cat and mouse thriller kind. It's really interesting. It's, it's very kinetic, dark. It's really dark. Uh, it takes place across Christmas time, it's obviously because Mall Santa. You don't have Mall Santas in July. <laughs> but by the way, the uh, the villain of this movie is Christopher Plummer. So is there any Daniel Craig? Uh, not not that I know. Or accent. maybe he's maybe he's an extra somewhere. Okay. So, but yeah, I thought this was a it's it's a really dark, fun thriller. Almost feels like something that Fincher would have directed. But this came out in the late seventies, um, so obviously before Fincher's directing time. Okay. But uh, if this were this would feel somewhere along the Fincher Alley. So I, I really liked it. I'd recommend it. I don't know where you can catch it. I, I bought the Blu-ray a while ago and it cost me a pretty penny. So yeah, I, I would recommend it. I thought it was, I thought it was good. If you can catch it, especially streaming somewhere, it's well worth your hour and 40 some minutes or something like that. So nice. well, that's a wrap. Quick reminder of Pop Riders Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. 
And if you're interested in writing for SifPop.com, you want to get in contact with us, maybe send us a question to explore during the B plot, then you can email us at writersroom at SifPop.com. And if you want to support the show, help out with some costs that we pay for out of pocket, such as fees, equipments, and rentals, you can Venmo me at Schweitcastle or DM me for a PayPal address. Uh, find me on Twitter as well at Schweitcastle. And please don't forget to re- leave a review for us on iTunes. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it helps out the show more than you'll ever know. And uh, go ahead and search uh Castle on Letterboxd if you want more movie stuff. And uh that's that's all that stuff. Robert, where can people find you? Uh same place as always, underscore Robert's Thoughts on Twitter, Robert's Thoughts on Instagram, and Robert's-thoughts.com. Nice. Well, uh let's see. Next month we're talking about Rocky and Quiz Show. We already said that next week. I'm talking about uh, all the 2021 movies that are presumably coming out next year still with uh, with Blake so it'll be great having Blake on but in the meantime Robert we got to get back to the writers room <laughs>